Blog Talk Radio. Evil. It's 
And uh, a lot of my friends and I who love the show Friday Night Lights use that phrase when we're trying to uh, encourage each other, inspire each other, cheer each other on for the day or whatever. Uh, Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. It is a very motivational line that is delivered uh, early on in the series by Emmy Award winner Kyle Chandler um, as he's portraying Coach Eric Taylor. So I guess what happened is the uh, writer, the author of the book, Friday Night Lights, uh, because now what's happening is now there's talks about a movie. There's going to be a movie, Friday Night Lights, based on the TV show Friday Night Lights, which was based on a movie called Friday Night Lights, which was based on a book. So the writer of the book, the initial author, he endorsed Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney, I guess, took that as license for him to go around saying, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. The thing is that that author was not the one who was the author of that phrase. So since he began to use this um, motto, here's what's happened. Uh, Peter Berg, the creator of the Friday Night Lights TV series and director of many of the episodes, including the uh, the final one, which was a masterpiece, he wrote a letter uh, to um, Governor Romney saying this. Governor Romney, I created the TV show Friday Night Lights and came up with the phrase, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I was not thrilled when I saw that you have plagiarized this expression to support your campaign by using it on posters, your Facebook page, and as part of your stump speeches. Your politics and campaign are clearly not aligned with the themes we portrayed in our series. The only relevant comparison I see between your campaign and Friday Night Lights is in the character of Buddy Garrity, who turned his back on American car manufacturers selling imported cars from Japan. Your use of the expression falsely and inappropriately associates Friday Night Lights with the Romney-Ryan campaign. Mitt, we all wish you and your family all the best. We are grateful for your support of our beloved show, but we are not in any way affiliated with you or your campaign. Please come up with your own campaign slogan. Sincerely, Peter Berg. So that was the first response to it, which I was a little worried that, you know, this phrase had been taken over by people that, uh, I wouldn't want to take it over by, and then that closely associates the show with with somebody and an agenda with which I clearly disagree. Now, I can only speak for myself here. I can't speak for any of my guests or even some of the um, the people who work on this show uh, don't see eye to eye with me, um, but it has become apparent that more and more the people who were actually involved in the making of the TV series Friday Night Lights um, are more along the lines of, of how I see things uh, and not how Mitt Romney sees things. So there's also uh, a letter that I found today. Um, it is uh, a column in USA Today, um, Romney wrong to use clear eyes, full hearts. And uh, the subheader is Romney may have co-opted the show's motto, but the women of Friday Night Lights know we need Obama. Okay, this was at 2.09 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, October 28, 2012. So this was two, sorry, this was yesterday. This came out, and this is one of the authors of this was uh, Connie Britton, uh, nominated for an Emmy for her role as Tammy Taylor, the wife of uh, the aforementioned coach Eric Taylor. Here is the article. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose was the battle cry for the high school football teams of Dillon, Texas, on the TV show Friday Night Lights for five seasons. But the show wasn't just about football. And Clear Eyes, Full Hearts Can't Lose wasn't just about winning games. 
Rather, it was a rallying cry of hope and optimism in a community where everyone had a fair shot, no matter their background, no matter their parents, no matter their gender, and no matter their politics. So, it has been surprising that the phrase has been usurped and co-opted by Mitt Romney and his campaign for their game. And it got us thinking, what would the women of Dillon think about this? Dillon is a classic American town filled with hardworking, middle-class Americans who just want to lead productive, healthy lives. And the women we represented on the show, the women we are in real life, are like the millions of women across the nation, women who want to make our own health care decisions, women who want to earn equal pay for the work we do, women who want affordable health care. In fact, it is President Obama who has shown his values to be more closely aligned with those represented by the phrase. The first measure he signed into law after becoming president was the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. So a female high school counselor or physical education teacher can fight for equal pay for equal work. This law makes it possible for women such as the character that I, Britain, played of Tammy Taylor to fight for the same wages as men no matter what they do or where they live. From Dillon to Philadelphia, where Tammy was able to pursue her dream job as a college admissions counselor. And President Obama's landmark Affordable Health Care Act uh, has been transformative for women. For the first time in our lives, being a woman is no longer a pre-existing condition. Our insurers can't charge us more for having breast cancer or being the victim of domestic violence. This law fully covers the cost of our preventive care, our annual checkups, and birth control. And on Friday Night Lights, quarterback Matt Saracen's grandma would have been able would have then been able to get the affordable health care she needed. Romney actually wants to throw the entire law and every benefit out, and while he's at it, get rid of Planned Parenthood, the health care provider that nearly 3 million Americans rely on for their life-saving cancer screenings, well-woman visits, and affordable birth control. Planned Parenthood was well-represented on the show, too. Brian Smash Williams' mom worked there. Tammy got a pregnancy test there. And after being abandoned by her parents, Becky Sproles was able to get a safe and legal abortion there. So, as women, let's take clear eyes, full hearts back and use it as it was always intended, as a motivator for progress, power, and greatness. Let's use our clear eyes and full hearts to vote early. Let's use our clear eyes and full hearts to tell every friend, family member, and neighbor about what's at stake for women in this election What's at stake for all of us? If we women make ourselves aware of the issues and make our voices heard, we most certainly cannot lose. This article was by Connie Britton, who is currently on the TV show Nashville, and Sarah Aubrey, who was executive producer of Friday Night Lights. Now, um, what I also want to add to that is, please, everybody, on November 5th, cast a vote. Obviously, you know where I stand you know, where these women stand who wrote this brilliant article. But no matter who you're voting for, get out there, vote. Vote early, do absentee ballots, vote on the 5th in your neighborhood where you're registered because it is the most patriotic thing that we can do as American citizens is to vote. All right. Uh, Now, I believe we have our first guests on the line. My first guest just played the Unicorn Meat Illuminate, illuminate Halloween party in some warehouse in Brooklyn last Saturday. Please welcome Jenny Electric and Seth Mysterica from Dynasty Electric. 
Hi, Ryan. How are you? Thanks so much for the warm welcome. <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, how are you, Jenny? We're great. We're actually doing this uh, interview by Candlelight in Massachusetts. We've been out of power all day as a result of the current hurricane. Oh, dear. Uh, and <laughs> We're okay, when... though. That's good. Do, do, do they know when power is supposed to come back on yet? It's hard to say, but in this area, it's a Westport mass. Uh, sometimes uh, power goes out for days during these uh, situations. Gotcha. But I have and plenty Steph, of beautiful you... candles. I love candles, and it <laughs> looks amazing in here, and it's super cozy. Well, there you go. And I have an iPhone so, that still has 50% juice on it, and thus we are on the, the Blazing Rye radio show. Holla. Uh, am I pronouncing that name correctly? Misterka? Misterka? What is it? Misterka, that's right. Misterka, okay. Great. Um, now, guys, I am unfamiliar with the dynasty of electric. What What time period in history was that? The the dynasty the dynasty of electric <laughs> I guess it would be the present moment. But if you want a little history of the band, Seth is so good at that, so I'll I'll have him do it. Yes. Well we put well. together um originally uh, around two thousand four and Jenny was attending the bar at a place in the East Village in New York and um I was stopping in and she was telling me about how she was playing the bass and I needed a bass player, so I recruited her to join the band on bass. She joined the band on bass. The next thing I know, she tells me she can sing. And uh, she put down the bass, and she's been singing ever since. And, uh, you know, we got into electronic music, and it's been rocking out ever since. How did you guys initially get into electronic music? Were there particular groups that influenced you, your sound? Well, well initially, um, it was a three-piece, and it was all, like, avant jazz music. Seth was playing saxophone and as he, he mentioned I was playing bass and we had a drummer. And then the drummer left to get into get, get into ultra marathoning, like uh, races that are like 50 and 100 miles. Wow. <laughs> and so we started just programming beats uh, to be able to continue playing live and then that's when we started um, you know, writing loose song structures with lyrics and vocals. And um, let's see, groups that were, were interesting to us. Um, Kraftwerk. Yeah, Kraft, that's the one I was thinking. Kraftwerk, Bjork, Goldfrapp. Uh, a lot of, like, the old, like, british prog rock we were listening to. Yeah. Sun Ra. Who else? Gang of Four. Gang of Four. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's what we were listening to at that time. Cool. Um, Beyond Race Magazine says you guys can't really be compared to any other group. What is it, do you think, that makes uh, your sound so unique? That's so nice of them. I love that they, they wrote it in that way. That's quite a compliment, and they're they're a great organization. Um, what can't be compared to anything else? Well, I know as of late, Theremin seems to be um, having a resurgence <laughs> in popular music because it was initially <laughs> – used in the way that I like to use it by Led Zeppelin, you know, uh, with some sort of pedal system and uh, getting really reverberating sort of psychedelic sweeping sounds. So that's something that we've been using since about 2005 or six, I think. And so I thought, 
I think that's one of the things that stands out. But I noticed that a lot of people are starting to use theremins a bit, which is awesome. It's an amazing instrument. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, we really try and combine um, what DJs do with electronic beats and uh, electronic music with uh, the power of a live rock band. So mm-hmm. it, it's not something that we're that too many other people are are doing right now. And a lot of the parties we're playing, for instance, the party you mentioned at the top of the interview was uh, all DJs except for us. Um, and a lot of yeah. times DJs open for us or we open for DJs. So we're just kind of writing this kind of a, a new territory, kind of in between a DJ and in between a rock band. And um, we're just trying to uh, forge our uh, sound within that uh, within that realm. Sure. Well, speaking of, of DJs, I've noticed that you you guys have opened for Girl Talk and you've worked with DJ Logic. Uh, are you guys into that whole uh, house DJ scene that's kind of buzzing right now? What, what do you make of that whole business? Well, you know, electronic dance music is more popular than ever, and you know, it was something something I've been following for um, for uh, for many years, being in Brooklyn, and uh, I was throwing big warehouse parties in Brooklyn uh, for for a long time, uh, and I've just seen it slowly increase in popularity over the years, where. Um, now actually the DJ shows and the rave kind of parties are uh, more popular in many ways than the old uh, uh, garage rock parties and punk rock parties that uh, they used to go down. So I, you know I think overall it's a really positive development. Um, I just love music in general, so I've just really mm-hmm. like I was saying I've, I've just tried to combine my own interest in rock and punk with uh, the new developments of you know electronic dance music and. Uh, the power of uh, the computer and the music. and You know, I have, um, when we saw, we actually opened for Paul Oakenfold this last summer at Summerfest, and it was really oh, wow. incredible to see him perform because he really is a, a wizard of vibration, just the ability of some of these DJs to read the vibe of the audience and then just adjust the flow of what they're creating. Um, it's really where I see the talent. Do you mind if I use that Wizard of Vibration uh, uh, title to describe myself from this point forward? You got it. As a matter of fact, I'll let you even own it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, at these warehouse parties in Brooklyn, were there there an abundance of illegal narcotics? (laughs) Was there illegal narcotics where? In Brooklyn. At these warehouse parties in Brooklyn. At the one we were just at? Well, there, there, yes, there always is. I mean, Any. I would see that that's part. I'm, honestly, I wasn't in direct contact with any of it, but I would say mm-hmm. that that is definitely is, is a part of that scene, but I think more and more it's becoming apparent that it's not. I, I spoke with the promoter for a while, Alex Kay, and it's really not what it's about at its core. Yes, it does mm-hmm. happen, but I think a lot of these promoters and organizers putting these things on are are mostly interested in how the music raises people's spirits, how it combines with uh, cutting-edge visionary art installations and image mapping and projections to sort of create these states of being that are not mm-hmm. necessarily dependent on drugs. Sure. Uh, Jezebel Music says that you guys are the sexiest group of studio spirits in New York City. How did you two get so sexy? <laughs> Ryan, I like your questions. Thank you. <laughs> How did you? Yes, sir. Well, I have to credit my parents for that. 
But uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's from working so much in the recording studio. Uh, the music just helps keep us young. Uh, so I, I really feel that music is a really great tonic for the soul. That's playing music and having fun. It, it's uh, there's nothing else quite like it for your health. Well, you know, and also we we are, we always infuse like a sense of this like you know higher purpose or or message or spirituality, if you will, really into yoga and like transcendental experience, but also Mm -hmm. um, sensuality and sexuality is a big part of the performance too. You know, it's punk and it's it's really sexy and it's electronic and then there's this this other vibe going on and it all intermingles and I think that that makes for a really balanced uh, performance and vibe. Speaking of sexuality, uh, I read the quote that the yay or nay said, the best way to describe them is probably insanely versatile. Now, when I hear the word versatile, I'm, I'm thinking something uh, else. They are referring to your musical skills here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think so, although I can't say I've asked them, so who really knows? Fair enough. Um, also, your bio says that you reformed in 2008. Did you guys go your separate ways for a while? Well, Seth has had a number has had a number of other musical projects he's been focused on over the last several years. One of them he is was playing saxophone with the duo Shy Child for a bit mm-hmm. and also has an avant-jazz duo with Brian Chase from the Yeah, 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 just sax and drums. So he toured Australia doing that and previously with Shy Child did several U.S. tours. Um, we also had a, a little side project that we did with some other people and, and did some recordings and had some promotions on uh, MTV and also licensed some music for MTV and VH1. And actually, for a little while, I was sort of out of commission. I got pneumonia. So oh, no. um, I was still doing a little bit of singing, but it was, uh, you know, coming out of the bedroom during loft parties onto the stage and singing in a raspy right. voice for like 20 minutes and then passing out in my room. But um, <laughs> so it was wow. a little bit of a break. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I got back into things and I was feeling better and when Seth was back from tour. How long did this pneumonia last? Well, the actual part of it, and I actually I can't confirm totally that it was pneumonia. It might have been bronchitis. It's hard to say exactly. Um, I would say about six months, but I was sick on and off for about two years. <laughs> wow, that is awful. Speaking of bronchitis, uh, we have a news report from Oklahoma City here we're going to play. Uh, we'll be right back with Time to the Electric. One resident describes her horrifying experience when she first realized the complex was on fire. Well, I woke up to go get me a cold pop, and then I thought somebody was barbecuing. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. <laughs> then I ran out. I didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. I ran for my life, and then the smoke got me. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, I, I can't hear the word bronchitis without playing playing that, so forgive me. <laughs> well, let me add to the whole story that, you know, there were also some incredible parts of that experience, and I have a very good attitude about it, just being part of, of my journey and, and learning a lot and writing some great music as a result of it. So, Blessing in good. disguise. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, I want to play a song off your new record. Uh, it's a self-titled album. Um, do you guys want to go ahead and set up uh, Electric Love? Oh, yeah. Electric, yeah, Seth, you want to talk about it? Tony, uh, 
Well, you know, originally I wrote this song. I was on an airplane in Australia, and I uh, was flying to a nightclub, and I wanted to write a new song for the show. And uh, I whipped up the um, the first bits of the song on the airplane, and we uh, started playing it that night at the club. And then eventually I made it back to New York, and we made a record out of it. So it all had its start uh, on a tour in Australia with, uh, with Brian Chase from the AAEs a couple of years ago. And uh, the current version, the album version, is uh, was produced by Tony Grund and Sam Walker of Hot Hips. And, um, yeah, I just think they did an amazing job with it. And, uh, yeah, we dig it. <laughs> cool. Here they are with Electric Love, Dynasty Electric. We'll be right back with Jenny and Seth. Set the dance floor on fire. You are Electric with Electric Love. 
forgive the uh, winds howling in the background. Things are getting crazy here. Um, I was now, imagining I was sending good vibes out into uh, out into the world and all the areas affected by this uh, hurricane. Oh, so. uh, yeah, thank you, definitely. Um, and there you are sitting by, by candlelight. Uh, and you love candles, so it's a good thing. So yeah. uh, you guys have this uh, relationship with Damon Dash. How did that come about? Let's see. Well, friends of ours in a video production company called Go Footage were actually working I'm for sorry, Damon. called what? They're called Go Footage. Oh, okay. I thought you said Ghost Bitch. <laughs> no, no, it was Go Footage. Okay. G O F O O T A G E. Go Footage, okay. Yeah, they were doing some work with uh, Damon Dash a few years ago. And um, at the time, he was. Uh, considering starting a record label that was a combination of of hip hop and also indie rock and some other styles, and combining it with uh, the idea of um, you know a visionary organization that included fashion and an art gallery and a video production company and a record label, and he called his venture Blue Rock. And so at this party, um, there was a party in uh, Dumbo that we were invited to play at sort of uh, to showcase our thing. And <laughs> the bands were playing in the middle of the room in, in, a, in a setup with just a couple of speakers. And by the time we plugged in the set, uh, all of the setup was sort of all wires were all over the place. Everything was like super disorganized. People were spilling drinks everywhere. And so we start playing in about a song and, and a half into the set, a few songs into the set. Um, who show, who were the rappers that showed up, Seth? Oh, yeah, the cool kids showed up, and someone ran over and said, the cool kids want to do uh, a song with you. And they tripped over the wire and unplugged the sound system, essentially. So we have Damon and all these other, like, record industry people, like, around in a circle just watching, and there's no sound. I turned around and I was like, Seth, let's just figure out how to get it working again. So he's going through wires. And meanwhile, I stepped on the grand piano that was in the middle of the room and kicked all the drinks off and then took my dress off and threw it in the crowd. And by that time, Seth got something going with the sound system. And we finished the set, and, and Damon thought it was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you... You took your dress off? Did you have clothes on underneath? Or you just yeah, I mean, I had some stuff on underneath. It was sort of like Madonna-esque, I guess. That's <laughs> how he described it. Um, also, I forgot to mention that I think the sound guys were tripping on acid, so the sound <laughs> weren't really helping very much. <laughs> with the now, things, you, not with the wiring. <laughs> do, you guys go, uh, do you guys go out to the 4040 Club with Dame or anything like that? No, we've we never went there with him, have we? No, uh, but with him, uh, he had his, like Jen was saying, he was renting an art gallery uh, in um, Soho, Tribeca, called the uh, 8172. Yeah. So he was actually, when we were working with his label, uh, he was throwing these huge parties at his gallery. And actually, eventually, the neighbors um, started complaining about it because he was having hundreds of people over for these wild parties, um, and sadly, he uh, lost the space uh, as a result of it. 
But he's still continuing. And actually, the way that we we didn't actually make the album at GD172, he introduced us to Ski Beat. And then he had, at the time, a place up near Woodstock, New York. And um, we went up there a couple of times and uh, created the songs there with Ski. So um, in, in fall of 2011, you signed to a record label called No Shame. Um, tell me how that came about. Well, the one of the, the guys from, a, from um, No Shame actually saw us play at a music festival in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And <laughs> we ended up with a pretty good time slot, but it was it was at the same time when, when like the headliner of the festival was playing elsewhere. So we were playing in this bar with a few other bands that were really awesome and then a few locals at the bar. So there's like not I don't even think there's like twenty people in the room. And playing through a bar uh, PA system, and he just really liked the energy and, and went back and told his partners about it, and they came later to see us in the city several weeks later at the Canal Room where we had a, a bigger show, and, and all the partners came and just really liked it. It was actually the first thing that they had all agreed upon unanimously. Really? Mm-hmm. True story. Uh, <laughs> um, and... This this new album that you've released on uh, No Shame Records, uh, this is a self-titled album. Um, is there? Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the concept behind the album, the recording of the album, uh, what this uh, record means to you guys. Well, we recorded the album uh, at the No Shame Studios in, in Soho, and um, it, we brought in um, someone called the, the producer name was uh, David Maurice, and he actually initially came in to produce the song I Wide Open, uh, which which DJ Logic was on because he had a um, a partnership with DJ Logic. And so him and Logic ended up doing that song and then a couple of others, and then he ended up just completing the whole album. Along the way, there were a lot of different people involved in the label that did help with some of the recordings and, and other parts of the process. But then David came in and, and finished the album. So essentially the entire, most of the winter we were in Soho and definitely all of uh, half of December and all of January, we were underground in the studio. Wow, underground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and is there like a, a concept behind this album or is it just a, just a bunch of, A lot of the songs in this collection were written uh, when we were um, living in a a warehouse in Brooklyn and throwing these big parties. So a lot of the album is geared, uh, basically we were the house band at these parties. So uh, a lot of the songs are um, more party jams and celebratory tracks. And then a couple of the tracks on the album were written um, in the countryside and uh, there's a really a uh, it's not really a concept album. It's more just a, just a collection of some tunes, a snapshot of this this period in time uh, in the recording studio and with the band. Sure. Uh, now I don't know if this is collectively or separately, but um, you've toured uh, Japan and Taiwan, um, various places overseas. Do you find that your music is is well received uh, overseas? Yeah, you know, I I find in general as a New York artist that uh, it, you know we have a lot of success in New York as well, but 
especially going overseas, um, there's a lot of value with uh, electronic music or just New, New York punk and rock music overseas that, uh, you know, when you're in New York, obviously there's there's many great bands, but when you're in Japan, you're, you know, one of the only New York rock bands over there at that time. So really um, there's more attention, it's a little bit more special or more unique to them. So, um, yeah, I love playing overseas. I always find it has more, even more value as an export than even in New York itself sometimes. Sure. Do you guys have a favorite place that you play in New York City? We really, we really enjoyed a venue called Glasslands in Brooklyn. It reminds kind of, us of our law. Reminds us of the space that we used to have, um, just kind of uh, an old Brooklyn garage that's just been done up as a rock club and. But really great lighting and great yeah, light. fantastic lighting and art installations and just a really great vibe there. Awesome. Do you guys know of the band Sleigh Bells? Yes. Okay. They played at Damon's cool. uh, art gallery downstairs uh, at one point, I remember. I see. Um, yeah, my my buddy Derek is, is one half of that band, and their, your music, in, in a way, reminds me of their music, and um, it's, uh, I, I, I dig it. I dig both. Um, now, uh, are there any shows that you guys have coming up? Um Right now, we're actually scheduling a crazy party in New York. It's called SantaCon. And what happens is all these people dress up like Santa for a day. Oh, sure. And they all go on a on a tour through the city through different clubs and bars. So we're right. having Santa We're talking about doing the after party, which we've done before a few years ago when SantaCon was big, but a little smaller than now. And now it's just exploded. So... Right. We may actually end up doing that again in December. It's not confirmed yet, but um, the memories of the last one are just like thousands of Santa, drunk Santas in the audience. <laughs> it was quite an experience. So I hope it happens again because it's really fun. It sounds like a nightmare you would have as a child, you know, thousands of drunken Santa Clauses stumbling <laughs> yeah, around. Yeah, it does. I Do you guys Santa dress up as Santa Claus as well? What? Do you guys dress up as Santa as well? I'll probably wear a Santa hat or some, like, sexy red dress or something. <laughs> you want to come? You should totally come. I'll totally come. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I I, don't know, because I've seen my friends after, like, I think I was at a birthday party uh, one night, um, and my friends came having been at SantaCon all day long, and they were just unbearable to be around, because they had been drinking since, like, <laughs> 10 in the morning, you know? <laughs> unbearable. Well, definitely, usually makes for an enthusiastic, lively audience. That's for sure. <laughs> um, sure. I think this moment um, I mentioned Slaybells a few minutes ago or seconds ago. Um, yeah, I actually mm. remember, you know, when they were first coming out and I had heard them at Damon's that it was definitely um, cool as well to be using electronics with, like, hip-hop, hip-hop beats and some, like, harder yeah. rock. So, yeah, I definitely can see how you um, would notice that there is, like, some sort of bridge between it. I don't know. Maybe we'll play with them at some point. It definitely seems like it makes sense. Totally. Um, I've never seen them live, though. I've only seen live footage, but it looks like it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, uh, Jenny, Seth, uh, I can't thank you guys enough. Check them out, DynastyElectric.net. Follow them on Twitter at DynastyElectric. And uh, cop their new album. 
also called and Dynasty see, Electric. We're always like um, we're always in close contact with all of our friends on Facebook and always posting stuff. So definitely visit us there too, Dynasty Electric. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank Stay you, safe. Ryan. Thank you. We appreciate you having us on the show and have a great evening. And uh, looking forward to meeting you in person sometime. You as well. I hope your power comes back on soon. <laughs> Thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> Bye. Good night. All right, that was uh, Kenny Electric and uh, Seth, I want to get this name right here, uh, Seth Mesterka from Dynasty Electric. Uh, thank you guys so much for doing it. As they mentioned, they are sitting uh, by candlelight. Um, my next guest's new CD is called This Moment. Please welcome Janine Lavulo. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Hello, Janine. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, but I need to know if I'm if – am I getting your name wrong? Am I pronouncing it correctly no. or not? No, no. You were perfect. You were perfect. Thank you very much. Love Ulo. That was perfect. Love Ulo, yes. Oh, perfect. Perfectly okay, said. I'm, right. I'm wondering – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering where you are. Are you – you're on the East Coast. I am in the eye of the storm right now. Are you in uh, California? <laughs> yes. Are you in a basement? I mean, I'm I'm kind of worrying about <laughs> you right now. Yeah. No, but these these windows are shaking, and the uh, actually the whole top of the, I'm on the top floor in my building in Brooklyn, and it's 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 been shaking a bit, but nothing too crazy. Oh my goodness. Okay. As long as you're good. I, I'm I've been watching the news all day, and so I was a bit concerned. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> well, the show okay. must go on, right? Actually, the last yes. guests were sitting there with uh, by candlelight in Massachusetts because they lost Incredible. their power. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> so, BroadwayWorld.com uh, says uh, it said, no, no, no. They said that you, Jean, are first and foremost committed to telling the story of every tune you sing. Uh, do you think that that's an issue with, with vocalists in your realm, that the emphasis can sometimes be more on the belting and impressing with one's voice than on telling a story? Well, it depends on the genre of music. I think okay. I think every artist wants to um, convey a message. Um, I think that with certain genres of music, it has to be more exposed than others. Um, pop, pop music and rap have um, an expression, and um, uh, music theater per se, um, operetta, um, jazz. Everyone has a different way of expressing their, you know, their message. So I, I just personally, I really, really pay great deal of attention to what I'm trying to convey. So I, I guess, I guess I'm sort of leaning back. I, I would say that every artist is really trying to do that. Okay. Every artist is trying to do that. And I also read uh, the team of Janine Lavulo and Christopher Marlowe creates the kind of musical experience that transcends language, culture, and genre. Uh, apparently it transcends centuries and the supernatural as well. How did you manage to get in contact with a playwright who's been dead for nearly 500 years? And when did he get involved in musical theater? <laughs> no, 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 no. I know they share the same name. <laughs> um, let's see. Christopher um, Marlowe um, 
we were both um, didn't even we did not know each other in the '80s, and that sort of dates me back, but or dates us both back. But um, I, that's when I basically started uh, my Broadway experience, my Broadway shows. And Christopher was working also on Broadway, but was um, doing uh, was heavily involved with the um, late Nancy, excuse me, Nancy Lamont, and she. A uh, beautiful performer, cabaret performer. Uh, she has um, she cabareted throughout New York, and um, she loved Broadway. So she did a lot of Broadway shows. I'm sorry, a lot of Broadway tunes. And Christopher would arrange these songs. So um, actually, with my album, this moment, we we went a little further and took um, songs that I loved and he loved. That from a classical point of view, from an art song point of view, and then Christopher would arrange them, as he is a brilliant arranger, to bring light, a, um, uh, so that the music could be heard and viewed and and uh, experienced in a new way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and so it, yeah, so it, it sort of sounds it sort of sounds like it. Uh, it so I guess that sort of sounds supernatural. <laughs> you think I mean, about I thought it. you had come in contact with a ghost. I actually that brought me back when I was reading your bio because when I was in college, we studied at the the Globe Theater in London, and the the scene that I got to do at the end of the semester on on the stage was a scene by Christopher Marlowe from Edward II, where I got oh, to shove the flaming, shove the flaming poker up King Edward's uh, butt. Um, to kill him, because uh, I guess that's what happened. And uh, anyway, that's I always think about shoving flaming pokers up boys' butts whenever I think Christopher Marlowe. <laughs> and you equate it with Christopher Marlowe's name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, now, Janine, back to you and about me. Uh, the, uh, tell me about playing uh, Maria at just 19 years old in Los Angeles. I um, It was my first major role, and I... Uh, as a child, I saw the movie uh, West Side Story uh, with Natalie Wood and Richard Bramer, and I was impacted by this film. Uh, and from that moment on, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a singer. Um, at the time, I didn't know that it was Marty Nixon who was uh, the singing voice for Maria, but it didn't matter. It was just such a compelling musical for me. It moved me so deeply that I thought I should play all the parts. <laughs> <laughs> so as a kid, you know, I would run home and uh, uh, instead of going out to play with my friends, I'd put on West Side Story album and I would be the Sharks and then I'd be the Jets and then I'd be Maria and then I would be Anita and I'd, you know, have a great time as I'm, as I'm sure um, all, all folks on Broadway have done this in childhood. So when I had the opportunity to play Maria uh, at the Shrine, I I uh, really, I felt so honored. I absolutely love the music. It's extremely expressive, stunning, beautiful to this day. It's still my very favorite musical. I have never grown tired of the lyrics, of uh, the sounds, the song. I think Maria is the most beautiful, the song Maria that, the character Tony sings is probably one of the most beautiful songs in the world. I still get shivers. So I guess I'm a life fan of the show and to be able to perform the role um was was dreamy. Have you have you ever considered writing or putting together a one woman version of West Side Story? 
That would be a fabulous show. I could do that. I could do that. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. No, notes, notes from Ryan. Uh, what's that story, Cabaret? I think that's that's what I need to be doing. <laughs> I could do that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. there. Uh, no problem, and that's what we do. We we uh, <laughs> we come up with. See, I have ideas. The problem is no one ever calls me. Um, so you were you were then cast in uh, New York Shakespeare Festival's Pirates of Penzance, which eventually landed you your first Broadway role as an understudy for Mabel. Uh, two things: um, how much did it mean to you to get your equity card? If you did at that time, I'm not sure. And uh, secondly, what did it feel like to get cast in and to be doing a Broadway show? <sighs> okay. All right. Uh, yes, I did get my equity card with the Pirates of Penzance, and that was at the Music cool. Center in L.A. And um, actually, when I was cast, I was cast as a booth singer, so I was singing on stage by, behind a scrim, and mm-hmm. my voice was being used to beef up what was happening on stage. So I was um, eternally grateful to get that card so that I could pursue my career I was frustrated because I wanted to be on stage, but mm-hmm. when the um, uh, the actual um, and looking back now, it was it was probably one of my greatest compliments because it it it, it pointed a path for me as a vocalist. I'm I'm a vocalist, and um, mm-hmm. so uh, when I was asked to join the first national tour of Pirates, which uh, then started off in San Francisco, went across country. Um, and uh, the Schubert houses across the nation, and, and then got to actually be asked to join the Broadway company. I just couldn't believe it. I I felt like oh. I'd won the lottery. I I you know <laughs> arrived into Penn Station with my little suitcase as a replacement uh, for one of the women who had left the cast in its final four months of its run at the Minskoff, and uh, I just couldn't believe it. I I um. I, I put a down payment from, you know, saved per diem from the road, and I was able to get my own apartment, which was about as wide as my arm span on either side. And I, I just, <laughs> I was so, I just felt that I, I had, um, I was on my path. I felt like I was on my my journey, and um, and it, it truly, it truly was magnificent. I'm thrilling, just thrilling. Mm-hmm. A lot of hard Where work. Did- a lot of hard work, but it was thrilling to actually be performing on Broadway. And and this uh this apartment that is your your arm span wide, uh where was it? Was it in uh the Broad the theater district? Um it was on um eightieth on West End, eightieth Street. Um one one fifty five West eighty fifth Street was my apartment five B. <laughs> that that was my apartment. And I, I had a, a ladder uh right out my front door that I would walk up to unlatch uh, and, and then flip open the, the top latch door to the roof. And so I would call that Tar Beach, and I would go up there on my day off and sit on top of um, the, the brownstone and um, pretend that I was – I would there were times when I'd miss the, the West Coast and, and bring a you know, bottle of wine or a cassette player <laughs> mm-hmm. and watch the sun go down so I could actually get a view of the sky and – uh, it's a great apartment. I love the apartment. What is a cassette player? What's a cassette player? Really? You, okay. No. It's an old-fashioned... Really. I mean, no, no, no. Are, you, are you kidding me? You're teasing me, right? 
Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Janine, you uh, you actually played uh, Grizabella in Cats on Broadway, didn't you? I played Grizabella in Cats on the national tour. I was the uh-huh. understudy to Grizabella uh, to Lori Beachman uh, at the Winter Garden in New York. Okay. So now from numerous friends of mine doing the touring production of Cats, I know that Many Grizabellas can be quite the divas. Did you get any diva in you while portraying her on the Broadway or near the Broadway? <sighs> I I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I think I was mm-hmm. – uh, I just felt the responsibility of um, portraying that character to the best of my ability every night. I – I, I mean, I'm not a temper tantrum kind of gal. <laughs> I'm sort of a peaceful gal. And, uh, no, I, I don't think I was a diva. I, I don't think I was a diva. <laughs> we actually had um, Betty Buckley on the show, uh, who has a great story of how she eventually found Grizabella's voice. Um, it, it took her uh, a lot of work, uh, her and Andrew Lloyd Webber going back and forth. Uh, did you find her a uh, a difficult character to tap into, as Miss Buckley did? As in what? As uh, as Betty Buckley said, she found it a, a, a difficult character. Was it was it a difficult character for you to tap into? Um, I well, first off, um, when I auditioned for the show, I was friends with uh, the stage manager who uh, his name was Jeff Lee, and he was the stage manager for Pirates, and he said, come see the show. So I was able to stand in the back and watch Betty Buckley perform Grizabella. Mm-hmm. And when she sang Memory, I every hair on my body rose. I had goosebumps. It was just uh, absolutely stunning. And I Sounds like you have goosebumps became, now talking about it. Yeah, it, it, just, yeah it, was, it was just incredible. And I thought to myself, I know I'm going to do this show. I just had a feeling, you know, in my gut. I know I'm going to do this show. Oh, my Lord, I don't know if I could sing it as good as that. So for me, I knew I could wrap myself into the character, but it was the vocal aspect that I was most nervous about. As I, I knew I had a high belt register, a high chest register, but I also have a, a, a very high soprano. And I hadn't sung that exposed that hard before as a soloist in a show. I'd always done it. Uh, in an ensemble, but not as a soloist. So I had to practice this, and my poor neighbors on my in my New York apartment on West 85th had to listen to me practice the song uh, for my audition for Trevor Nunn, uh, that one specific section, Touch Me, It's So Easy to Leave Me All Alone with a Memory, that uh, very powerful moment in the show. And so I basically started out with, uh, taking a big breath and uh, and and letting out a large yell to see how it felt because they that was that's what we Grizabella did is that we would belt it all the way up to that E flat. So um, I took the my rehearsed version to a friend of mine, uh, Madeline Doherty, and I said, Madeline, you are a much better belter than me, and I I just need to have you listen to this and tell me if I can do this. And uh, she listened to it and said, oh, my gosh, you can do this. And so I I just, <laughs> when I went back for my callback, um, something happened in the audition. 
that I was able to be cast, and then it just got easier over time. It's kind of a long response to a question. So for me, it was the vocal aspect more than it was the character. And when you went into the audition, you had the confidence that you could pull it off from having uh, practiced with your friend earlier? I think that um, I was so young uh, and foolish that I just wanted the show, and I, I would have been happy to do to get anything in the show. I have to tell you, Ryan, that um, I missed the singer call to Cats. So really? I went to the dancer call, and um, that was quite intimidating. Uh, I show up with my music books, and there are 2,000 prima ballerinas wrapped around the building, <laughs> and they're you know all lining up in you know lines of ten, and we all have a big number on our on our you know our bellies, and I have to go through the dancer call, the dancer lineup, double pirouette to the right, double pirouette to the left, you know grandjete, jump, you know land, blah blah, and I'm not a dancer. I'm a singer who moves well. Okay. <laughs> Uh-huh. So I don't think that um, Jillian Lynn was especially pleased, but uh, <laughs> but Jess Lee was there and and leaned into Trevor's ear and said she's here to sing for you. So um, that was how I was graced with that. I think I, I was young enough. I was 23 when I auditioned, and um, I just had I was fearless. I was fearless at that time. Mm-hmm. So it was just. Please, please, please! I know I can do it. I know I can do it. Just give me a chance. Kind of a audition. Uh-huh. How so, did you miss the, the singer's call? You just switched around what you thought the singing was the act. The dancing. You know what? I I I don't know how I missed it. It was one of those things where I was paying attention, paying attention, and then kind of absorbed in where's my next job going to come? And bam, I missed it. So I was <laughs> I was really lucky when I when I uh, I saw in the paper that the dancer call and I was I mean I was scared that how on earth am I going to pull this off but I I just went down there <laughs> that is impressive and you went through all the, the dance the dance exercise and everything lord lord I did <laughs> I did I, okay I actually the dancer went call. to <laughs> I actually went to an audition one time it was like an EPA for uh, theater, um, like the, the uh, whole season for a theater. Um, so I'm waiting in line. I get there at like 6 in the morning. I'm outside the equity building for a while, forever. Some of my friends are in the line, too, that I went to uh, Syracuse with. And I wait until like 8.30 when it's time to sign up. And then like right around that time, I realized somehow that uh, I'm at the musical theater day, not the straight acting day, and uh, I still wonder to this day why my musical theater friends that were in line with me didn't turn to me and say, like, you know, what, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> they wanted I didn't to have 16 it. bars or nothing. Oh, what did you do? I went in there and I sang R. Kelly. No, I, I didn't do that, but uh, I should have. Um, no, I, I, don't, I, I, I left. I just left because, you know, it was the wrong day. But... <laughs> If you had if had you my mentality, you never would have gotten dancer? the part. What did you say? Well, you would have become an actor, singer, dancer on the spot. <laughs> exactly. I should have pulled, <laughs> pulled it to Nina Lavula. That's right. Um, You'd have been fearless. <laughs> so uh, 
You were also in uh, Les Mis. Uh, tell me about that. Oh. Well, um, Les Miserables, I, again, oh, it's beautiful. I, um, okay. I think one of my greatest... One of my greatest um, moments in the theater happened during Les Miserables, and um, I was brought in to replace Anne Crum, who was uh, understudy to Randy Graff, who was on team. Anne went on to London to do Aspects of Love, and so I replaced Anne. And, um, you know, it, coming into a Broadway production, you've got, you've got everyone is very set. There's tremendous pride and ownership in the show. But what I remember most about Les Miserables um, in New York was singing in the ensemble of Do You Hear the People Sing? And um, I remember walking, you know, we as a group, we would walk very slowly. Do you hear the people sing? You know, very, in the finale. And um, at one point, we were all singing as such a collective group that I could not hear my own voice. I just knew in my head that I was singing my part and everyone around me was singing theirs and there was such magnificence and such perfect harmony and power that I absolutely observed the moment and still to this day remember it as this is the greatest moment on the stage. I I will remember this moment forever. It was um, unexplainable to be a part of that kind of vocal power. Mm-hmm. It was thrilling, truly thrilling. And Mr. Rob was a, um, is a, an amazing piece of work, and I'm looking forward to the movie very much. Cool. Looking forward to hearing that very much. I, I did the New York Company. I, I bounced in and out of the Second National a little bit um, as a replacement for Fontaine, and then in the end, I went to um, I did a swap with one of the girls in the Los Angeles Company, and then I closed the LA Company um, so that I could come home. I was I was I had been at that point on tour a really long time and in New York for on and off for nine years, and I was kind of ready to get back to home and um, get my my roots underneath my feet a little bit and uh um but so Lamas Raw was my my last major show. Uh thrilling. Very blessed. Very blessed to have been a part sure. of those Sounds three like it, it meant a lot to you. Um I mm-hmm. want to talk about a couple more things in this last bit of time that we have, but I want to make okay. sure first that we play uh a song from your new album this moment. Can you go ahead, Janine, and set up uh, Easy Living? Oh sure. Um, Easy Living is a, uh, a standard um, by uh, Ralph Ranger, and its lyrics are by Leo Robin. And uh, Christopher made this arrangement for me. We wanted to, a lot of people have recorded it, but we wanted to make this just a little bit more uh, tailored towards me. And um, it's just a, a very light uh, jazz combo. All right, uh, here she is, Janine Lavulo with Easy Living, and we will be right back with Janine. Living for you is easy living, it's easy to live. 
when you're in love And I'm so in love There's nothing in life But you I never regret The years I'm giving They're easy to give When you're in love I'm happy to do Whatever I do For you For you Maybe I'm a fool But it's fun People say you rule Be with one Wave of your hand Darling, it's grand They just don't understand Living for you
Barack Obama, hot or hot mess? Hot mess. <laughs> hot mess, really? Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan, hot or hot mess? Oh, hot mess. <laughs> Am I allowed to do inflections? Uh, yes, absolutely. All right. Um, okay, now let's get into the 20 questions asked. Um, all right. Uh, when it comes to gypsy... When it comes to what? Peters, when it comes to gypsy, this is okay. the question. Peters, Merman, Lansbury, or Lapone? Uh, I don't think I know either. You don't know? Who? Um, let's see. Bernadette Peters, Ethel Merman. Oh, Bernadette Angela Peters. Lansbury. Okay. Okay, Bernadette <laughs> Peters or. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so what's my question? Okay, so the question is, who do you prefer? Bernadette Peters, Ethel Merman, Angela Lansbury, or Patty Lacombe? Uh, Bernadette Peters. Okay. How about dance belt or jockstrap? What was the first one? Dance belt. <laughs> dance belt. <laughs> Sex. Sex in the City or The Golden Girls? Uh, Sex in the City. Oh, really? Big, that's, big shock. That's shocking. Um, who <laughs> is your who is your favorite male actor? Uh, George Clooney. And who is your favorite male actress? Male actress? Yes. Male actress. I'm not answer that question. <laughs> I love that question. <sighs> um, I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> um, now, uh, you uh, let's. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left. You worked with some big wigs in recording your new album. Tell me about that. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dan Wallen is my sound engineer. And Dan is uh, in his early 80s young. And he has been in the business, I am going to, I hope I get this right, five decades um, recording music. And he has done everything. He's recorded everyone. And um, he, one of his great accomplishments, well, he's done, I, I just can't list it all, but he's recorded Barbara Streisand. Uh, he was... Uh, out of Africa, the movie. Uh, he just did Up, um, yeah, Mission Impossible, Cars. I mean, these are he's a movie guy, and um, he's the one who introduced me to Tim Simonek. And Tim was my orchestrator, uh, and also uh, brought in um, some other orchestrators as well. And they work at Pixar a lot, and they do movies, and uh, and it just was an absolute divine. Uh, opening, if you will, um, how these people came into working on my, my CD as Christopher and I were just looking to make a piano vocal piece. So we were, when we were looking for a, a piano large enough, uh, seven to nine foot for Chris, um, we decided to go to Capitol. And uh, I just had a feeling about Don Wallen and the rest is history. We, we would record and then Dan would go, you know, this would be really great if we added... Uh, Chuck Berghofer uh, is our bass player, and I think maybe you need to meet uh, Tim Simonek. And the next thing I know, I have 
strings and then I have orchestra and then it just it just exploded into this incredible project. So that's kind of how the album uh, started moving forward. So very blessed. Yes, those wow. people. And then um, you say that incredible. you um, you say that Chris Marlowe took many of the songs that you two chose and arranged them in new and creative ways. Uh, what what does that mean? How did he rearrange them? Well, for example, uh, we have a. Um, Actually, I have a music video that's going to be released um, within these days. Um, it's uh, uh, written by and composed by uh, Serge Rachmaninoff. And he composed uh, a vocal ease for me to um, uh, Serge Rachmaninoff's um, Variation 18. At Rhapsody on a Theme, uh, Opus 43, Variation 18. And it's stunning. It's it's a singer's dream. It's um, I'm, I'm taking one of the instrumental parts as a vocalist uh, with a full orchestra um, under me. It's uh, just a, a dream. Uh, for example, um, Le Berceau is a um, piece uh, that was composed by uh, Gabrielle Faure, and uh, and so Christopher took this beautiful art song and put it in jazz form. So it it has a new a new feeling to it, um, and you can really hear and feel those chords and how it kind of goes into the body in a different vibrating way. Um, so many. And lastly, for example. Um, well, the summer knows, summer me, winter me. This is um, the summer knows. Um, we all know the song, but he uh, made a medley, uh, actually for Nancy Lamott. And um, the summer knows, summer me, winter me. Both songs are are um, are written uh, by Alan and Marilyn Bergman with um, lyrics by Michelle Legrand, and he put the two songs together, and it's magic. It's just magical. So. Uh, everything Christopher touches uh, just has a more pensive, more complex, more interesting way um, of being performed. It sure sounds like it. Um, really uh, fun. On the cover he's, he's of your uh, album, Janine, it looks as though you're wearing a wedding dress. Is that the case? <laughs> no, it's not a wedding dress, but it is white. It is white, okay. but it's... It is. It is. Uh, I guess it does look like that, but um, in up close, it is. It has such really pretty detail, but you don't really see that on the CD. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't actually really even look at that. I just look at the sunset. I think that 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 day, we shot that. We actually were on the property of the Ritz Carlton in Laguna Niguel, here in California, in the Southern California, and we'd had a gray eight months solid except for these two days that my photographer came out and we had this brilliant sunset. So I feel thrilled that I was able to get that picture. It wasn't sunny out for eight months in Southern California? Yeah, it was gray. It was gray. We, wow. we it was yeah, we went through a real gray spell where lots of fog, kinda half um you know, the fog would blow in, we weren't able to see a sunset go out. It was just coming in off the winter and what we call June gloom. And because uh, I'm, I'm right here on the coast, and uh, and then it opened up in the middle of the summer for three days, it, glorious, perfect weather, and bam, there's my photo shoot. So the angels were being there sweet to me. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Janine Lavulo, thank you so much for doing it. Check her out, JanineLavulo.com. Follow her on Twitter 
at Broadway Janine, and the new album is called This Moment, and I will look forward to your one-woman masterpiece, West Side Story. Let me know when it <laughs> when it is produced. Ryan, you're awesome. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Okay, and be safe in the storm. I I will do my best. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care. Right, Have a good night. Bye-bye. Janine Lavulo. Can't thank her enough. Thank you to Janine Lavulo and Dynasty Electric uh, for a great episode tonight. We'll be back next week. Uh, Remember, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. Hit the brakes, Florence. And lastly, if you have a Barbie doll, bend her backwards, burn her knuckles on the stove, cut off all her hair, and leave her in some drawers. It's been Blazing Rye, Monday, 10-29-2012. Good night, everyone.